Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that neb-nosed mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. <laughs> That's FRANCHISE. You get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. And get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. <laughs> Get to bluechew.com right now. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. to episode number 66 of the Triple Threat Podcast, brought to you today here, empowered on the the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire by our sponsor this week, Blue Chew. You heard that off the top. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz, Mr. JP, but on this show, our co-host for 66 episodes he is the man that this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about factions. He knows a little bit about that, but we are so happy to have in for another great episode, the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas, Mr. Douglas, welcome in. Episode, you know, it's either we're one number shy of a number that sort of, for some reason, it's like scratching, itching like the back of my brain, six, six, uh, or we're on the infamous Route 66 heading to California, so... It's either the, the devil on one shoulder or the angel on the other, but episode 66. Love it. <laughs> you know, and with you, you know, the, uh, the the devil on one shoulder, I don't know if you've ever listened to the other guy. I think you kind of flick the other guy every time he pops up and you go with that yeah. uh, that devil. 
waiting. Now you know why I'm agnostic, right? Because <laughs> uh, the uh, ponderance of what could be waiting might be a little scary if I were a religious guy. You know, I think that would make a pretty cool T-shirt if you uh, if you ask me to have uh, God and the devil both having dibs on your soul. I don't know if that uh, that'd make a good hey, T-shirt. <laughs> you know, you might you might be onto something there. Nah, it'll never sell. <laughs> By the way, if you head to ProWrestlingTees.com slash the franchise uh, SD, you might be able to uh, get your hands on one of those classic shirts. But listen, we had a great weekend this past weekend, hanging out Saturday night in Feasterville, Pennsylvania, as part of the Icons convention that was before the Battleground Championship Wrestling event. It was Shane, it was John, it was myself, it was Francine, it was big, sexy Kevin Nash. We had a great time, and it was... uh, it was really nice to see you, Shane. My uh, my little daughter still, uh, you know, didn't want to. Uh, at the end of the day, she didn't want to jump in that little bag of yours. <laughs> she she's either a Ric Flair fan, a Shawn Michaels fan, or she's just a very smart girl because she wanted nothing to do with the franchise. <laughs> Wouldn't even fist bump me. <laughs> no, she didn't. But they were raving about Francine, both my daughters, uh, at the end of it. But it was. <laughs> It was great to see. It was great to see Dominic too. We didn't get to see uh, to talk to him much because we were kind of running around. But you know, getting to chit chat with him about the time in Australia and seeing you guys—it's always a lot of fun. You know, it was a uh, a beautiful Saturday night. Nice weather. I don't really know what happened after I left. I don't know if you guys. Uh, my ears were ringing like crazy, so I don't know if that meant anything. But uh, always fun getting together with the, the the two of you, JP, Shane, and obviously throwing everybody else in the mix. It was a great crew on Saturday night. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, getting there, like, walking into that building, it reminded me. In fact, Francine and I started talking about, like, she kept saying, have we run this building before? Because it was one of those buildings that very much had an ECW feel to it, uh, very much like the Sportplex in Long Island, or, uh, and I forget, the, I think there's a, a similar building up in Boston, Revere, to be exact, uh, uh, on the far side of the uh, Boston airport. Uh, ECW used to run a lot of those ice arenas and those types of buildings, so it uh, had a very nostalgic feel to Francine and I. Yeah, it was a cool venue. I could definitely see ECW uh, doing some damage and breaking some stuff in that uh, <laughs> that little ice <laughs> rink. That that penalty box had a uh, had a brawl written all over it, if you ask me. Yeah, but as I recall, it was your daughter that married that made it into the penalty box line. None of the wrestlers, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the little Chadster, uh, Chadsterette, made it into the uh, the uh, penalty box. So yeah. what was up with that? Yeah, she did. Oh, that was actually, that was the wife who decided to put them in there. But, you know, it was just, it was... <laughs> It was very cool timing. We were in town for a little theme park action, and obviously the show being right there made perfect sense. And uh, they wanted to tag along rather than stay at the hotel. And as we all saw, they tapped out pretty quick and ended up going and doing something else and uh, <laughs> and leaving uh, dear old dad behind. But, uh, you know, getting to see a lot of good fu- friendly faces. Uh, Kevin Nash was in a uh, very fun mood. He was joking with a lot of people. And uh, I got to see our buddy Brian from MCW. But uh, we also got to do a very cool unboxing of your figures toy company action figure. Finally, we uh, we recorded a video. We posted it on YouTube uh, earlier this week, and uh, great feedback from it. You know this uh, this thing that they're onto at Figures Toy Company and bringing the guys that haven't had the action figures like yourself, and obviously uh, even bringing Francine into the to the mix and and a lot of other people. It's uh, it's so cool to see, but. Shane, I mean, we hit it over the head like crazy, and we're not just blowing smoke up their ass. I mean, these figures are great. People are absolutely loving them. 
And when we posted the video, you know, nothing but positive comments. And uh, I know Chris, who I'm sure he's listening uh, from Figures Toy Company, he's a huge Shane Douglas mark. And uh, he loves seeing you open up that figure and seeing his hard work, you know, uh, put on display by you. So uh, another great uh, look, look at the franchise, making people happy, making dreams come true. <laughs> the warm and fuzzy franchise as we move into the Christmas season, right now. I'll, I'll you know, I'll rip it aside. The uh, uh, like I mentioned in the video, the the fact that Figures Toy Company is the first to put real fringe on the boots. I, I, to me, it just adds some kind of an element to the to the action figure of authenticity. Uh, you know, we, we all know the fans all know everybody that buys memorabilia knows that the, the earlier uh, companies did it for. Uh, uh, you know, the bottom line, uh, but you can tell in, in this and figures fully coming to them the same thing and, and taking a cheaper route, but instead they went out of their way to make this a more authentic, perhaps the most authentic uh, franchise action figure. And as they've done with Mikey's and blue Meanies, and I'm certain they'll do with Francine's uh, you know, the, it's uh, it's a really cool line. Like I said before, many a times before uh, the fact that they're tapping into something that, you know, with all those millions and millions of fans that have tuned out of sports entertainment, by the way, to see the 2.2% drop in the, in the uh, <laughs> stock this week, uh, uh, a little a little dig in there. Um, but the fact that Figures Toy Company is doing this, I mean, they, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's not just a small market they're tapping into. It's a massive uh, market because uh, all those people that, like myself, that no longer affiliate with uh, the WWE, uh now the fans, and I think there's more than one or two out there, uh, can still get their hands on not just an action figure, but like I said, perhaps the most authentic, uh, true-to-life action figure for the franchise that's ever been put out. And for some reason, I just mark out over the fringe on the boots. Oh, it's a big detail. And we had the other uh, the ECW figure on the table. And I know, look, I know it was 1997. I know <laughs> things have changed and things have evolved. But sure. it's like looking at, you know, uh, you know, a masterpiece and like, you know, um, like a clay, you know, figure or something. You know what I mean? It's like the, the, the evolution of how they make these things is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a testament to uh, somebody who's as big a fan as Chris is that he was able to really stress those details. And, you know, he posted some really nice stuff on Facebook about it and obviously on Twitter as well. And, uh, you know, Shane, you really, uh, you, you made him a very happy man that he's in this job and he was able to bring you on board. And, you know, the things you said in the video, like I said, making dreams come true, making people happy. Well, again, it's a two-way street. You know? I mean, they've, they've been easy to deal with. They've been very professional. And, and the fact that, uh, to me, I always look at it like, you know, from the, from the fan's point of view, because I still consider myself a fan uh, of professional wrestling. Uh if I were out there now, as a, you know, when I was a young kid growing up watching Bruno San Martino and Dominic Finucci and jumping Johnny DeFazio and superstar Billy Graham and all the rest of these guys, uh, long preceding action figures, I would have died to get my hands on uh, an action figure of my favorite wrestlers. So the fact that figures toy companies don't, it's not pandering to the, uh, you know, to the large, uh, corporations that have taken over our business, but actually paying attention to the fans that built and maintained this business. To me, that's very cool. And uh, I think it's going to pay off huge dividends for uh, figures toy company the long run because of that wrestling fans, as you know, as we've talked about so many times on this podcast, 
uh, wrestling fans are incredibly loyal and, uh, you know, died in the wool, you know, so figures toy company is definitely onto something here. Yeah, they definitely are. And, uh, you know, despite, J- uh, JP's, uh, greatest attempts to, uh, sneak that bad boy into his bag, <laughs> We uh, we we had to stop and we had to get him with both uh, both of us. Dominic had to jump on top of him, make sure that that uh, that franchise figure didn't walk away into the uh, the JP mobile. But we also we got to remember too here. We're going to give away the Tamatanga action figure. We uh, we had a great response to this giveaway. Yeah. Again, it's another uh, great one. We're trying to switch it up on how we do it each time. We don't want to be uniform and do it the same way. So this time you had to be following both the Triple Threat podcast and Figures Toy Company. So, uh, with that being said, I want to uh, I want to call JP to the floor here because he's the man of the hour, and we also haven't heard from him JP. yet. So we want to get JP and his uh, his uh, sticky fingers there trying to grab that franchise figure. John, I'm going to give you the floor for two reasons: one, to announce the winner, but two, to also give your uh, your wish list to uh, Chris D. Petrillo of Figures Toy Company and tell him where he can send all the great. <laughs> Great figures that we've uh, we've been talking about at length for the last uh, couple of months here. Uh, you know where he can send them. <laughs> Just to get it out of the way, I, I, I will be getting a Shane figure, and I do want that Jim Cornette. Just to throw those two out there, if, if Chris is listening, those are on the wish list. The, the two uh, <laughs> two best figures that they have. Although the Tomatonga with the face paint is pretty awesome as well, and actually, I don't know, might be creeping up there. Shane, that's a great figure, but the winner of that figure is K3. Hopefully I'm going to pronounce his last name correctly, but or his Twitter handle correctly. It's at Cass Kalevich. I believe that is correct, but his name on Twitter is K3. You are the winner of that awesome Tama Tonga figure. Yes, very nice. We're clapping right now. Congratulations. And what's great about that is when he, he's he's a huge supporter of the show, which I love when the uh, the actual like drawing happens, and it happens to be somebody who is a big fan of the show. So K three, if you're listening to this, you just won yourself Tomatonga. So we'll be reaching out to you, and we'll be able to uh, sync it up and uh, get you this figure. And uh, when you get it, please uh, share it with us and let us know how you feel and what you think. And, uh, you know, congratulations. But, yeah, another great promotion. And we still have two more left. So we'll let that breathe a little bit. And we will roll another one out here in the uh, the next coming weeks. And uh, continue to uh, make dreams come true. But, Shane, speaking of dreams, how about some nightmares? And we usually do the plugs at the end, but you got a big weekend coming up. And uh, before you went off to Australia, you recorded a promo for another match you've got with that pesky... Uh, thorn in your side, Luke Hawks. Now, despite JP's best attempts to uh, think that this feud was going to be over, you got one more chapter ahead of you, and you're going to be heading down into uh, unfriendly territory uh, this coming week. So uh, how is your preparation going, and uh, are you ready? Well, the preparation's going great. You know, the, the, my, my weight's dropping by the day. Uh, my wind's coming up by the day. But, you know, look, the, the one thing I want to just address here up front with this is if, you know, uh, I'm, I'm walking into his building, right? Luke Hawks' building. The fans love him there. You know, he helped, uh, he built the organization. So uh, just a little word of caution, though, for all the fans in the building. Uh, if anybody thinks that <laughs> booze or, or jeers or, you know, calling me names uh, affects the franchise, <laughs> maybe they should go back and look at a few uh, uh, 
videos of me from the past because I'm one of those guys that frankly doesn't give a fuck. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going in there for one reason only. I mean, look, I'm not taking anything away from Luke Cox. Uh, you know, here's a kid who's built uh, a career from the ground up, you know, no major organizations, uh, you know, made a hell of a name for himself. Uh, but, you know, for the life of me, I cannot figure out as the guy who put a first title on him when he was a young, young wrestler, uh, when I was booking in, in uh, uh, XPW, uh, I don't ever recall having any kind of, I've been hit with chairs for 30 years, so I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I don't recall off the top of my head, any kind of negativity between he and I when he was with XPW and I was booking XPW. So suddenly for there to be this diatribe for, what, 10 plus years uh, on my, you know, most, quite frankly, I, I had been aware of it most of the time because I don't follow along with the uh, social medias other than, you know, lately being on Twitter and I've been on it for, what, for three or four weeks. Uh, but, you know, I had people coming up and telling me uh, so, you know, we didn't get much resolved in Philadelphia, uh, you know, so we're going to do this one more time. We're going to find out, uh, you know, look, he's a, he's a lot younger and he's, you know, age, this is not a young man's game, but again, if the people in the building think they're going dis- to distract me from what I know I'm good at and what I, what I know I can do in the ring, uh, I hope that Luke Cox is going into this with the idea that this is going to be a cakewalk. I'm at home. You know, the fans love me. Eat those cheers up, brother. Pay attention to them. Cater to them. Kiss their asses. Uh, because if somebody's never, quite frankly, given much a shit about kissing babies, uh, that's the kind of thing that will distract him from the, from the duty at hand. So we're going to get it done one more time this weekend. And look, at this phase of my career, you know, win, lose, or draw, my career is set in stone. Uh, Luke Hawks, the fans in that building, uh, can't do a thing to, to tear down anything that I've built. Uh, Vince Mann has tried for years, and, and if that jackass couldn't get it done, I doubt somebody in New Orleans is going to be able to. But one thing's for damn sure, on, on Saturday night, Luke Hawks and I uh, are gonna, both going to know at the end of that night that we've been in a hell of a battle, and maybe, just maybe, he'll have a... Uh, a tad more respect for the franchise at the end of that night. It's a feud. It's uh, one of the rare uh, blood feuds that we really have now, and it's intense. And obviously, we know straight, you know, into this show how deep it goes because you know, even just sharing the videos that you uh, you've done, the promos you've done to promote this, you know, his fans are taking shots at us. Obviously, he took a shot straight at John when John <laughs> John tried to uh, just kindly assist you. Um, you know, just doing a a friendly uh, <laughs> a friendly bit of help. Um, as, any, as any good friend would. Exactly, exactly. We know the value of that. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of funny to see that these people, uh, the way they support him so much, you know, they'll, uh, they'll allow him to take shots at guys who are just kind of innocent bystanders. But, you know, I guess that calls, uh, calls into question maybe some of his uh, motives. But I know, John, you know, you, uh, you took a, a shot right to the mush, and you haven't forgotten that. So I know you're kind of rooting for Shane to uh, really end this once and for all. Yeah, especially when, you know, I tried to assist Shane in the match. I mean, let's be honest, the odds were not stacked in Shane's favor because everyone in that building was against him. Uh, Even backstage, basically, me and Shane are basically kept to ourselves except for 
uh, Sabu coming by and saying hello and, and Stevie Richards, but nobody else in the locker room says you know hello or anything, and they're really kind of disrespectful. But so you know, so I had to try to help Shane a little bit in the match, and uh, don't think I don't uh, you know or don't think I'm gonna forget that Luke Hawks did give me a bloody lip that night. He uh, pretty much cheap shotted me and cold cocked me, and uh, wasn't expecting it, and I definitely didn't like it. So Shane, please, you you got it. I know. You won that match, but it just distract a little bit more of revenge on that guy because he is a tad bit disrespectful, I, I have to say. Well, I'd say a bit more than a tad bit, but, you know, back to Philadelphia for just a second before moving back to New Orleans, uh, you know, to walk into the building that I built, you know, I mean, let's, let's put all the bullshit aside. The ECW arena was built largely in part the reason that Shane Douglas stood center ring uh, the night of the NWA convention uh, and all those other iconic moments was because I was the guy that could deliver the goods. I was the guy that could pull the people in without a multi-million dollar ad campaign. I was the guy that could bring the people to that building. So to have some people now coming out in Philadelphia and boom, you know, again, I feed off of that. You know, that, that to me is, you know, like baby faces love cheers. The franchise loves when the, when the crowd's against him. I like, like, ah, back to the old days, you know, just pumping <laughs> home now. And, you know, now in New Orleans, uh, I don't know if Luke Cox has something up his sleeve or, or if he's just that damn out of touch, but to book a street fight match, you know, I have just a little bit of experience with these types of things. Uh, and I've been in the ring over the decades with an awful lot of people that were pretty damn good at street fighting people like Terry Funk, people like uh, Sandman, people like uh, Tommy Dreamer, uh, guys that taught me a thing or two outside that ring that I've, I'll be bringing with me on Saturday night to New Orleans. So I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing Luke Cox in a street fight. Uh, again, I don't know if he's got something up his sleeve. I hope he does for his sake because to book that kind of match for Shane Douglas on a Saturday night, Takes me right back to the glory days. Looking forward to it. <laughs> hey, and just throw up that high sign if uh, if you need any help. <laughs> hey, you know, there's a few uh, frequent flyer miles on the uh, the old franchise uh, roster. We'll have to maybe have a few uh, uh, plants uh, peppered around. You know, we'll make sure they buy some Luke Cox t-shirts going in and chant, you know, Luke, Luke, Luke. And when the time is right, bam, JP gets the ring. <laughs> we got too many teeth to uh, fill in that uh, that fan base. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, before we get into today's topic, which is going to be factions, uh, ironically, this uh, it's something that happened while you were in Australia. We needed to uh, put on the shelf and come back to. I just want to say a uh, big thank you again to Vince Russo for coming on with us last week. It was a hilarious chat between the two of you. And uh, just, I love, 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 whether it was Mikey or Francine or when we had PJ on, when you guys can just conversate, it's cool to just be a fly on the wall. But the thing about Russo that I love is that he's just so loosey-goosey and he's such a nice guy, he's a happy-go-lucky guy. And some of those stories that you two told back and forth, just hilarious. I swear to God, I laughed my ass off listening back at a couple of things that he said just because... Maybe just because the way he says it, but to think about you being, uh, you know, like he said, the kiss mark and the Paul Stanley, I was dying listening to that again uh, back. It's such, yeah. a, such a cool thing. It was a great episode. 
Yeah, it was always great to talk with Vince, and it's, uh, you know, it was great to have him on, you know, that we were able to get him on and, and uh, catch up. It's because, you know, as crazy as it is, as, as, as long as he and I have been friends, you know, like I was talking to you guys before we started the podcast, like, uh, you know, life is busy. I, I you know, we, we, I can't imagine on his end, but I know on my end, you know, you, you just get up and take care of business each day. And before you know it, you know, six months has gone by. And so, uh, it's been some time that we had a chance to catch up and we were able to on, on, on the episode last week. So, you know, I was, uh, happy we got the chance to do it. And, and also happy that Francine and, and Mike were able to film while I was in Australia because, again, as big as and beautiful as that continent is, it's hard for me to imagine that it was damn next to impossible to get any kind of real online service. Not one hotel we stayed in had uh, any kind of business center or uh, online access. It was uh, it was bizarre. So the ch- the fact that we had uh, the Queen of Extreme and Mikey Whipwreck killing them, what? I can't think of two better people to fill in for the franchise when I'm out of the country and overseas. <laughs> Did you say crikey when you couldn't find the uh, the business center? Oi, oi, oi. Yeah, and another funny thing, too, with Russo, um, when he was telling the story about Paul Stanley, and he stopped and he said, and Shane, I just want to make sure I'm telling you the truth here because everybody says I'm a liar, Shane. I just want to make sure I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, little, yeah, it, for, the, for the unwashed mark, there were there were quite a few little backhanded digs in there that, uh, unless you know Vince Russo well, he probably got you. Probably hit you with a zinger and you didn't realize it. Yeah, and what I pulled one of the quotes from uh, somebody online. It said, "Great conversation between you guys." Vince unfairly gets a bad rap. A lot of false narratives have been spun for years about Vince that are completely untrue. So I hope that we were able to to maybe sway. A couple people uh, in the uh, the pro Russo category, uh, if anything, because he's just a nice dude, and uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, really enjoyed it. And I know uh, John set that all up. It was uh, it was pretty good. It, it happened all while you were in Australia, so we were like, "All right, well, we got to get you on an off day to uh, to get you all recorded and ready." But everything worked out for the best, and it was a nice uh, it was a nice week that we had that one all set up. So. Uh, very glad we were able to publish that and get it out there. Hey, it was perfect. It was nice to come home to, and and uh, you know, it, 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 no prep was needed for it. Just put Vince on the phone and let him and me uh, bullshit a little bit, and and uh, pick up right where we left off the last time we talked. So, speaking of something that we did shelve when you were in Australia, I got to uh, I, I got to finally get this out to you. I sent you the article. I uh, sent you the breakdown. The WWE released a list of the top 10 greatest factions of all time. And uh, to say it was comical was uh, the understatement of the century. Now, I'm not just saying that, oh, well, uh, we're here to say, you know, the triple threat is the greatest, uh, tri- you know, faction in the history of factions. And just because there's new people on the list, that means it sucks. We're not here to say that. At least I'm not here to say that. Uh, somebody who's not really, Why not? well, I just don't want to, I just don't want to, I just don't want to be, you know, classified as a hater. You could say it till the cows come home because you lived it, but as being a fan and, and seeing all these, seeing most of these for, for cause I don't really know the new guys, but, um, it, it's an interesting list that WWE would throw out there. I think they did it just to get people talking. It really seems like just by the people they threw on there that, uh, that's exactly what their intent was. But uh, we're, let me run down the top 10 here just really fast. And uh, what I want to do is, is we'll talk about it a little bit, 
kind of talk about factions, kind of talk about what their their role is uh, when it's done right, and then uh, want to get the uh, the three of us to give our top three because obviously triple threat uh, factions of all time. So this is the list that the WWE published uh, while you were in Australia, Shane. Number ten is the Undisputed Era. <laughs> so we're starting off the list with with a faction that maybe you know the participants in it, but uh, I wouldn't say their sample size is long enough to even throw them on this list, let alone make them number 10. <laughs> uh, it's certainly a curious pick, but I, I think the whole list pretty much was a curious list from what I saw. Yeah, so we got the Undisputed Era at number 10, the Freebirds at number 9, which is kind of laughable, uh, the Nexus nine, <laughs> yeah, number nine, the Freebirds. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's probably at least eight or nine other factions that are way, way better than Buddy Roberts, Bam Bam, Terry Gordy, and Michael PSA. Who ever heard of those? Guys? <laughs> and you know what? Uh, I'm back <laughs> and, and you know what's funny too is even if it was a picture of just Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes, I still wouldn't have them at number nine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's no, uh, hell. All right, see, this is why. Let me run through the whole list, and then we'll kind of take it back, and uh, we'll give our commentary here. So number nine was the Freebirds. Number eight was the Nexus. That's another WWE-created faction. Uh, Number seven is the 1997 version of the Hart Foundation with Brett and Brian Pillman and the Bulldog and Owen Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Number (laughs) Number six is the New Day. (laughs) It's uh, (laughs) a... I'm sorry, I had to stop on that one. Number six is The New Day. Yeah. Uh, this one's shocking. It's not higher because of who's in it. Number five is Evolution, the Triple H-led uh, faction. Number four is the NWO. You know, didn't do anything for the business. That's number four. Uh, <laughs> number three would be DX because they were completely not a copy of the NWO. And uh, number two <laughs> number two would be the Four Horsemen. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's number two. I can hit the uh, <laughs> I can hit the buzzer. I mean, come on, this is good. Somebody's pulling my leg right now, right? This is like a uh, getting punked, or is, is Ashton Kutcher still doing the punk show? Because he he is he's in my closet right now. He's I'm getting punked right now. Number two, the Four Horsemen. Okay. Hey, Shane, before we go any further, we want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Now, Shane, I know you've got something to say about Blue Chew. So before we get back into talking about the factions, why don't you drop a little knowledge on us and tell us more about BlueChew.com. Hey, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes used to have a saying, take care of business, baby. And if you've got business to take care of tonight with your better ass, the best way to do it is get to BlueChew.com right now because only right now. If you use the promo code franchise, you're going to get your first shipment free. And all you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling, making sure, like Dusty said, take care of business, baby. You're going to be able to take care of it right tonight. It's the first ever chewable, so you're not going to have to wait at that doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. So if you've got business to take care of tonight, like the American Dream said, take care of it right. Bluechew.com and the promo code franchise. <laughs> And again, if it was a substitute of pictures, maybe if it was the Four Horsemen that had Paul Roma in it, maybe that could knock it down to number two. But uh, number one... Now, number one... Oh, I'm not taking shots at Paul Roma. I'm just saying they used the picture of the original group. Actually, no, no, I think they used the picture of Barry Windham. So that's still regarded as the the most favorable Horseman because of the the, the matches and the work rate. But number one, and I'm not going to take anything away from this group because it's a good group, 
but it's not number one. Is the Shield that rounds out the top ten WWE uh, faction list? What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, where do you even start? I, you know, I think you never on the head just been listening to that reiteration. I, I read it earlier, but uh, now hearing it, you know, and hear the words uh, over the air. You know, again, it's universally known by every wrestling fan, the difference between Ric Flair and I. But there isn't a wrestling fan on the planet that even fans of some of those factions that are listed that believe that the four horsemen aren't number one. Uh, The number one faction, uh, you know, it's impact on the business alone. I mean, you know, we can talk about who likes who, who thinks who was better than who and all that. I'll just put it back down to what the business is always supposed to be about. Let's rack up the numbers uh, that were drawn by each of those factions. And in that case, four horsemen hands down and the rest of them a distant second and beyond. Uh, A, because of the longevity of the group. Uh, B, because of the impact that so many of the people that comes through that had come through the four horsemen, you know, there were some, that some, some members that, uh, traditional, uh, 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 four horsemen fans may not have been, uh, keen on, but, you know, you, you can't argue with from Gene and Ole and, uh, Arn and, and Flair to, you know, uh, uh, uh Barry Wyndham's time with the four horsemen and, Tully's entrance, and I mean, just stop and think about so many people that had come through there, uh, having been horsemen. You know, later we saw the NWO, and everybody in the brother was a member of the NWO. It was, you know, NWO red, NWO white, NWO purple, chartreuse, plaid. Uh, there was about 900 different versions of the NWO. So if you had a pair of boots and tights uh, in the 90s, uh, you were probably an NWO member at one point. Or another, uh, the Four Horsemen was the elite. I mean, at any stage that it was that it was involved, it was truly the elite. So I don't think there's any way you can replace them and not make yourself look damn foolish with them at the top of that list. And the funny thing is, the Undisputed Era is in the top ten. They've had you know zero matches in the WWE. They're just an NXT group. So I just thought that was kind of laughable. And they haven't really done much, really. If you, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you really look at it. Um, and then, you know, Nexus is like, yeah, they didn't do enough, but it, they could have been something. Like, that's kind of weird to put in there. But I chuckled. The New Day? Are, are you kidding me? They're well, wait a borderline. Second, oh. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, not taking any you know, slaps to anybody, but I, I think they're meant to be from what I've seen of them, the comic relief on the show there. Yes. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the thing that gets the kids dancing and, you know, you know, everybody feeling good about, uh, watching that segment. I, I don't think that many fans place much in them as far as, uh, uh, impact on the industry long term. But, you know, what I was most shocked at and looking at that, uh, when you guys sent that earlier was where the hell was the, new version of the triple threat. I mean, they, you know, they just they exploded <laughs> onto the scene in, in the WWE. And the WWE is so potent right now. I mean, 
their ratings, I mean, what are they drawing now? About a million, million and a half uh, a, a week? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, what was it? Remind me again, what was it before? Oh, it's right, about eight or 10 or 12 million a week. Uh, you know, and, and yet they didn't have their own triple threat on there. It's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, look, you know, some people like vanilla, some like chocolate, some like pistachio. I don't think there's anything in that list that many wrestling fans will buy into as being acceptable. Uh, again, taking no shots at any of those kids, but, uh, you know, where was uh, uh, House of Humperdinck? You know, where was Hot Stuff International? Uh, you know, and I could go on and on. There are so many of these factions that have been there, which was, again, like we had talked about pre in previous episodes. The reason that I came up with the idea for the triple threat in the first place in ECW's early days was every professional wrestling promotion I had ever watched and been a mark of had that dominant heel stable, uh, like Florida Championship Wrestling, like UWF, like the old WWWF, uh, NWA. They, each of them had something that really drew you in, and it typically was if you were like me, you know, somebody who loved the heels, uh, typically gravitated towards those heel factions. And, you know, and looking at that list, I don't think there's many former Florida Championship Wrestling fans or UWF fans or Mid-South fans, NWA fans, ECW fans, uh, uh, WWF fans that look at that list and say, yeah, they hit that nail right on the head. <laughs> Jesus Lord. They um, they did, didn't do a good job, and you kind of wonder who's putting the list together. Are they putting it together to kind of get a reaction? Are they really putting a real, true list together? Are they trying to get their guys over and, and put their you know names on it? Obviously, there's a couple of ones in here I would you know, wholeheartedly agree with. Obviously, the Horsemen, obviously the NWO, Heart Foundation, no doubt about it, Freebirds, no doubt about it. Sure. Um, I might give you a, a evolu evolution as as a fringe because all four guys were, were former world champions. So maybe fringe, you know, you put evolution up there and DX maybe, maybe throw them on there, but to, you know, throw them a bone. But um, was it huge on them? They were just an NWO ripoff, like Chad said. But you know, there's there's something, but I don't see the real triple threat on there. Is there any reason for that? Do you have any heat with those guys, Shane? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, it's been a couple of years since I've got a Christmas card. I, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if if uh, not kissing Vince's ass was a smart thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a list I'm proud of. To me. But, all, you know, again, all kidding aside, I, you know, Francis always has this ribbon and snide side, but I also have the serious side. Uh, and looking at that list, I'll bet $10 to a donut. Somebody in the sales department said, holy shit, the ratings are through the floor or hemorrhaging fans by the week. We better do something to try to stimulate some of these uh, uh, online sales or get people to, to sign up for the network because uh, clearly if you look at the television ratings and a 2.2% drop in their stock this week, uh, all, even though it's at record highs, as we, we saw how quickly it went to those highs. It, trust me, as somebody who's followed the stock market for some time, that can drop back into seller level very, very quickly. Um, so I, I think that's more what's at work here. You know, they're they're trying to sell T-shirts and 
uh, online network memberships as opposed to giving fans uh, a real, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a real uh, investigation into who the greatest or the all-time greatest factions in, in professional wrestling are. Hell, most of those guys, most of those younger ones that are listed aren't even professional wrestlers, right? They're sports entertainers. So I guess you have to put two sort of lists out. Here's the top factions in sports entertainment history, and here's the top factions in professional wrestling history. And then let the fans decide. So I'm going to have to give, I'll just give a top three. I'm not going to go top 10, but I'll, I'll just give a top three, not necessarily saying that this is definitely tried and true and that this is correct, but I would probably say for me, Heart Foundation, I loved the Four Horsemen. I mean, absolutely loved it. Shane, you're not going to like this, but the original NWL, I absolutely loved the original NWL. I think that would be my top three. I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you got top three? Well, I mean, I just said a thing that obviously the Four Horsemen, um, you know, would, would clearly be up there. I think the Freebirds would, would clearly be in my top three. And if, you know, if it's not going to be voting for, for ourselves, uh, my third pick would probably be Hot Stuff International. Um, you know, even though the UWF didn't have near the penetration that the WWF then had, uh, you go back and you watch what they were doing in the UWF at that time, it was so far ahead of its time, uh, so cutting edge, and almost piece by piece, later to be seen in you know vast portions of what Hot Stuff International did, we would see later crop up during the Attitude Era in the WWF, albeit portrayed by different people and uh, laid in or laid out in a little slightly different uh layout but you could clearly see that the impact that eddie gilbert had and and the whole faction had if if you followed along with uwf at that time so you know horseman i think any wrestling fan would say undisputed number one uh to me uh number two and three we could argue about back and forth but i would say in my book number two would be badge three usa uh not based off of michael hayes's singing but off Buddy Roberts and, <laughs> and Bam Bam's in, in ring, uh, uh, just power. You know, the, the two of them were just eloquent. You know, the eloquent big man and, you know, Buddy Roberts, who could, you know, wrestle as great as anybody on anybody's greatest list and all that stuff international. That'd be my top three. Well, what about, let's, let's give a couple here that could possibly be great. Let's go Triple Threat. Let's go New Blood. Let's go Revolution. And maybe let's go Dynamic Dudes with Jim Cornette. Is that, is that a pretty good <laughs> list as well? well I mean, it, it, that wasn't a faction. It was a team. Um, uh, <laughs> the, but I, I don't think this made much of an impact on the business. Uh, the, uh, the, the Triple Threat, you know, as far as, you know, the, the, the Triple Threat that everybody thinks of, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear the impact that we've had on the business. Uh, but, you know, as, as for this sake, just being the classy guy that I am, I didn't put us into the running uh, anywhere in the top 10 on my own list because Ham's the, that classy of a guy. I, you know, it's, uh, you sort of feel sort of strange like pumping yourself up in there. Yeah, to me, whenever I hear fans uh, on a weekly basis, 
you know, come up and talk like that this, you know, uh, last uh, Saturday night of Feasterville with the icons, you know, Francine and I heard how many times, you know, people talking about the triple threat, triple threat was my favorite uh, uh, heel faction of all time, that kind of thing, favorite stable, you know, Franny and I were talking both before, during and after the uh, convention, you know, that how many times the two of us have heard that, you know, and to me, that's what it was for. It means in my head that that landed the way we expected it to land was to have that kind of an impact. So I wouldn't personally put it in the top 10 on my own list. Uh, but, you know, I think I think most wrestling fans would have it somewhere. Now, that's not to say that it wouldn't pale in comparison to the latest incarnation of the triple threat on WWE. So... <laughs> but, you know, maybe, and, and just like he, the original Triple Threat had a huge impact on the ratings of the original ECW, perhaps it's the new Triple Threat that's having that impact. Maybe their ratings are where they are today because of their new Triple Threat. Who knows? Fair game for argument, right? That is very, very true. And, you know, that's just one of those things where it's like, oh, God, like, it's so stupid that the WWE would do that. But, then you look at like this faction list, and it's another thing. It's like, man, it's so stupid that they just throw out a, a faction list like that, and they don't really put any thought into it. Although I guess you could say they made it thought provoking by putting all those stupid, you know, weird, random uh, factions in there that don't really fit. But the Shield, obviously, they're you know they're trying to push them right now. They're they're they're, they're you know, Roman Reigns is the number one act in the company. You know, Rollins and Ambrose getting a big push. What are your thoughts uh, on the Shield? Better as a maybe as a heel faction? Are are you a okay with them as a group? Uh, you know, again, you know, since I watched so little of the current product, all I all I can say, like in Roman Reigns' case, uh, you know, they're so badly missing it with this guy. You know that like I've said how many times before the, the Samoans—they're all born knowing how to wrestle. It's in their DNA. So I don't think there's any problem in that front for Roman Reigns. Uh, the fact that, you know, what's really at work, I think, is if you go back to the beginning and you remember Vince McMahon going public and bragging that he was personally writing Roman Reigns' promos. Uh, the ones, remember the ones, uh, Sucker and Succotash and Able Lee Tell Billings in a single bound, uh, you know, that kind of stuff from 1940s cartoons. Uh, the, for anybody, I would like to invoke that. That's my standard pat, no pun intended, Trump answer to every time I hear somebody say, and it hasn't been often lately, especially, but when I hear anybody say, Vince McMahon's a genius, you slap that down. That's like the ace of spades, right? Boom. My argument is Trump's your argument because your argument holds no water. Uh, you know, you could turn this kid. Uh, you can get him over. I uh, no doubt I could get him over in a segment, in a single segment, just done properly. Um, but when you encumber, you know, as was he six foot six, three hundred and plus pounds? Yeah, you cover up his body. That makes a lot of sense for you know. Vince, I was always told that Vince was a body guy. You know, so that's a great idea. Let's cover this guy that's you know, in great shape. Let's cover him head to toe, and then have him say some really uncool stuff in the 1940s and uh, 
disallow him to be what he would truly be just by his own DNA. Uh, so I tell him Ben Roethlisberger not to scramble. I uh, probably going to fail uh, like Tomlin has pretty badly so far this year. Uh, and pretty much the same that they've done with, with Roman Reigns. Uh, I, I don't think having him in any faction makes sense. A, because the way you've built him or, or lack of building him to this point, but also uh, because you've not gotten him over. You know, you, you sort of build a faction. Uh, factions were built or are built, should be built on the guys in the promotion that are over, not over because the fans just have thought it's just cool enough to boo this guy unfairly. Uh, not the right place to put a faction. You know, so in all respects, I think from a psychology of professional wrestling standpoint, none of it makes sense. It's it's very, very poorly thought out. Uh, and the, as far as the execution, the execution is perfect uh, for what they're trying to do. It's, it's more in the, the nature of the problem of what they're doing. Uh, doesn't make sense. Now, what about Chad? Chad, what is your uh, top three fact? Uh, man, you know, I, I tell you, this is like uh, <laughs> trying to pick your favorite child. <laughs> it's such a, uh, it's such a, you know, it's such an interesting topic. I, I don't know. I gotta say, if I was gonna go top three, I would probably throw the Heenan family on the end. I would probably say, uh, for the sake of uh, the the youth and uh, and going up. Uh, excuse me, throwing up uh, the two sweet for many, many years. I'm going to throw the NWO on there. And um, I, I don't know. I got to say I might. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get heat for this one. But uh, I am going to say the triple threat would be my uh, my top faction only because because of this reason. From getting to rewatch as much as I have in the last year of doing research for this show, uh, the the absolute chemistry and the, the vibe and the feeling that everybody gets off each other has superseded anything I ever watched growing up and including watching it growing up. So I'm not going to be a mark and say that, but um, I'm going to throw the triple threat on there. Sweet promotions coming next week. <laughs> well, I mean, if we do go back to the history of the show, I did say that, that we, or we both said we wanted to be members. <laughs> so I'm kissing a little ass. But if I, if I can elaborate for a second, I, I just want to touch on, uh, you know, one thing about how, I mean, I don't know if, you, if, you, if people discount those manager factions. I mean, is that something, am I being ignorant to it, that those manager-led factions, I think, are lost just as much as the manager is lost? Because what we saw more is these, you know, the group, like, whereas Francine wasn't the leader of the triple threat, but Bobby Heenan is the leader of the tri of the Heenan family, or Jimmy Hart's the leader of the first family. I feel like that outsider, JJ, you know, being the four horsemen, uh, you know, um, manager, it's like, I feel like that role itself is, is so pivotal, and it's almost like, you know, the brains behind the brawn kind of thing. I don't know, that to me is one of those things I always really, uh, I always loved about factions, or guys that are on the outside leading them. I, I was always the same, you know, like I, I've never, as somebody that's been in the business as long as I've been in it, I've never been able to understand why, for, you know, all intents and purposes, 
those heel managers have have been sanitized out of the show. And I know before somebody writes in on Twitter the bar and says, well, there's you know, this manager or that manager, they, you know, you go back and you look at when the Grand Wizard, uh, 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 Lou Albano, Fred Blassie, uh, Arnold Skoland, you know, that when you go back and look at that period, then move forward from there and see, like, when they brought Slick in and Jimmy Hart and, you know, and, 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 you know, had all these fill-ins, uh, those uh, managers were in those positions not because they were okay at it. They were in those positions because they were great at it and they drew a shitload, boatloads of money in doing it. So, again, just, you know, like we said earlier about all the other great ideas with quotation marks <clears throat> around it uh, that we've seen come out of the WWE lately. Uh, nobody can give me a, a full answer, a explanatory answer as to why they've sanitized that out of the product. Because to me, those were any wrestling fan. We keep on going back to wrestling fans, right? But you talk to any wrestling fan, whether you were five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, or 50 years old, uh, there were those heel factions that stood out. And whether it was J.J. Dillon jumping up on the ropes and taking the bionic elbow from uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, or Fred Blassie back in the day using his cane for an unfair advantage, uh, those are those things that stand out. Those managers of those stables over all those years stand out every bit as much as the Bruno San Martinos, the Ric Flairs, the Hulk Hogan's, the franchises. Those They stand out every bit as much because they were impactful. Uh, they stand the test of time. You'd have to ask a certain Irishman that lives somewhere in Connecticut uh, as to why they've stopped doing that or putting the, the kind of emphasis and, and focus on like they if they always did in their history, you'd have to ask him because it just makes no damn sense at all to me. Yeah, and throwing guys in for the sake of throwing guys into a group, you know, uh, Stevie Richards always tells a story that uh, he was put in a tag team with Tommy Dreamer by Blackjack Lanza because they were both wearing black and uh, they needed to fill in a spot <laughs> on a, on a TV show, so they just threw them together because they were uh, both wearing black backstage, but... You know, you think about the members of a group, and obviously triple threats, so there's three, and you're throwing Francine, there's a fourth member. Uh, but, you know, we think about the NWO. The NWO was notorious for just throwing a shirt on somebody and kind of, you know, maybe not bringing down the stock of the group because it elevated the person who did put on the shirt. But when they branched out and it was NWO Wolfpack, then you would, like, forget who's in it. But talking more about those managers... You know, how many guys in a faction is too many guys in a faction? Because if we think about the Heenan family, at, at one given time, you know, just to, to isolate my brain here, you know, you got Andre, you got Haku, you got Rick Rude, you have the Brain Busters, you have Hercules, you know, you have six, seven guys in a group. And whereas, yes, the manager can come out multiple times in a television taping, um, it's still a lot of people that you got to remember he's got under his umbrella. So how many guys is too many guys in a faction? Oh, good, good question, right? I mean, I don't think there's any one answer. You know, the, the only thing I would say is there's got to be a, a, a base limit because two or under is, is a team or, or a singles. Uh, so I think you just by answering that question, you're three or up. 
But when you start getting to the point, it was like like we saw with the NWO, as cool as that original incarnation of the NWO was, uh, it it got a response from every wrestling fan at that time, either because they thought uh, you know Nash and, and Hall were cool coming over from WWF then, or because they thought Hogan was getting long in the tooth, and they you know or the chemistry between the three of them, whatever it was, but it was a finite. You couldn't then suddenly say like we saw later, you know, I joke about all the different versions of the uh, NWO, but it's not as outlandish and satirical as I make it sound. That's not far off from the truth. Everybody and their brother was in some kind of an NWO seemingly. Uh, So clearly you can have too little or too many. Two or one is not a faction make uh, too many kills a faction because it waters it down to, uh, you know, to oblivion. Uh, so I'm going to stick with the numbers three or four. You know, the four horsemen, the triple threat, I think were pretty iconic uh, from different eras of professional wrestling. Uh, but both of them stood the test of time from their generations forward. I think once you start getting over that becomes a, a you know, fill in the blank. You know, it's five members, six members, seven members, eight members, a million, three members. Uh, three and four sticks, it resonates and uh, has a lot of history from both of those uh, offsetting factions, the Triple Threat and the Four Horsemen. Yeah, and you know, and, and thinking about the time frame, too, of the late 90s, and whereas we, okay, let's say the 80s is reserved for the manager factions, and you think about the late 90s where Triple Threat is rising. Then you think about WCW, and there's, you know, you had the Revolution, obviously. You had, um, you know, the NWO. You had the LWO. <laughs> you had all these different groups. But then there was, it was like, how many can you sandwich into one show? So then, you know, the WWF had the Corporation, and they had the Ministry of Darkness, and they had Degeneration X, and they mm. had all the, they had the Job Squad. You know, they had all these little subgroups that popped up left and right. So, the next question would be, how many factions is too many factions at one given time in the same program? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, it, yeah, again, I think it's based off of, you know, who, who's, as far as the individuals, who's involved in what at any particular time uh, on that show, what angles are hot, what time of year it is. Uh, you know, in the old days of the NWO, I mean, with the uh, NWA, you had the champion was always traveling. And so there were times that the champion was uh, in town for the home promotion, uh, for the television tapings, et cetera. And other times they were on the road and, and not available for that. So, you know, it's, you know, really contingent. I mean, if you look at the WWE today and where it's built, you know, where the calendar is built towards each pay-per-view. And so it's, you know, the, what are we coming up to Thanksgiving and the Royal Rumble, right? So, uh, you know, as to who's going to be in a faction, my question is as they stand, as the way they're doing it right now, uh, where they can't even make their main event angles seem to to be interesting because of the way that they're just rushing to it and then away from it to the next thing. Uh, does a faction even matter today? You know, it's I, I mean, I I don't think individuals matter today. You know, it's uh. You know, Kevin Sullivan said one time uh, that Vince McMahon always had wanted to make the WWE the star. And you know, so that way he didn't have to pay anybody if they became the big name or the, you know, the over-the-top superstar 
uh, the diva uh, superstar. And I think in, in many respects, he may have achieved that, you know? And so is a name important on a card? Is a faction important? Is a tag team important? Uh, or is it just going to see the show? You know, uh, I think tonight or tomorrow, uh, they're running Australia, and as you, everyone knows I was down there with Dominic, uh, and I'm sure they're going to do a monster house, but it's because they only go, what, once every couple of years down there, um, but are the fans going to see, you know, Roman Reigns, are they going to see Samoa Joe or anybody else on the list, or are they just going because it's the WWE coming to Australia? Question needs to be asked. And I think that's a definite question that we want to uh, we want to cover because uh, John was just telling me about a Kevin Sullivan quote that just said the exact same thing that you just said. So that's definitely something to uh, to talk about. But I believe that show. I mean, I don't know what what's the technical date here in Australia <laughs> compared to when we're recording. I believe we'll well, we'll see it Saturday morning. Yeah, they're twelve hours ahead. So right now it is uh, what. About 3 p.m., is that right? It's 3 a.m. here, right? <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you've got your clocks backwards, uh, somewhere it's 3 a.m. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, look, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, that, that show in itself, I, well, definitely, that'll be a topic for next week for sure. Um, but before we get into the, uh, the last portion of the show here, one last question out of me is I want you to put your fantasy booker hat on uh, if you can. And we're going to stick with the faction theme. And I just want to let you know, I'm going to disqualify anybody who was a member of the Triple Threat uh, from being in your fantasy faction. Now, you are going to be in the main event spot. Okay? You are going to be our champion of this faction. So you got to put guys around you. No, don't do that. No, you got to put guys. I, I, just, I want you to pick pick a tag team, pick, a, uh, pick an enforcer, and pick a manager. And let's make a dream fantasy faction here on live on the air triple threat podcast well the first thing we have to do is i'm gonna to have to explain the rules of this thing because i've got to have the point of extreme <laughs> at my side oh. otherwise we don't do it right? okay uh, that's fine I, then, I that's fine <laughs> okay and if i can have chris candida or bam bam bigelow uh i would like to have body donna skip and uh <laughs> no Obviously, try to cheat for drats. Um, no, if I was if I was building a faction, then I could have anybody from any generation or or, or time. Oh my God, that's a you know, it opens up a hell of a lot of just incredible uh, 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 names from over the uh, the eons. But you know, I, I'm going to stick with ah. Uh, you know, I, I just I get right open my mouth, like my, my brain goes one way and then it goes another way. Like, for instance, Bruno San Martino would immediately be out. Because, like, Hulk Hogan would be out uh, because there's some guys that, like, like Dusty Rhodes is another one, that are just singular entities. You know, like you can't imagine Hulk Hogan, uh, Dusty Rhodes, even though he tried a million times, uh, or Bruno San Martino in any faction. So those guys go out the window. Uh, if it just lickety split the top of my head, the first one I would say would be Arnold Race. Uh, just such a technician and, you know, such a, 
you know, masterful guys. See, what, what, what most fans don't understand, you guys, I'm sure, do because of being your proximity to the business, but the NWA champion back in the days when Harley Race and, and uh, Ricky Steamboat and uh, uh, Ric Flair and those guys were taking that around, that wasn't like you were working for the NWA or later the WCW or the WWF and you're on a singular booking sheet and you're going from town to town to town for that company. Back then, you know, the NWA champion might be wrestling in Charlotte tonight, flying overnight to get to Dallas for an after early afternoon show tomorrow. And then from there straight to St. Louis that night. And then from St. Louis, maybe out to San Francisco before zipping back to Tallahassee for, you know, and every night wrestling somebody different um, and not having the capacity of, or, or the uh, advantage of being on the card every night with the same crew. So saying, okay, I know what this guy can do. And I know what that guy can do. And I know what this wrestler and that wrestler and that wrestler can do. Uh, you may be flying in and only by name know the person you're wrestling having never seen them perform. And when you go back and you look at the, the feedback on Harley Race's title run, uh, it, you know, and then you hear the stories of like, you know, the, uh, uh, the referees and things that rest, that rest those matches. I've never heard a negative comment on any of Harley's title run matches, you know, going under that gauntlet. You know, so that is, you know, for somebody to me, it's been in, the, in that position, not in that position, but in a uh, world championship position, that gets a shitload of respect from me. Yeah, because that is, you know, the road's a tough place to begin with, but then to throw in all those other ancillary uh, uh, X factors, you know, really makes that an impressive and stunning statistic for Harley. Uh you know, all the NWA champions did it, but I'm I'm just going with the, the idea that with Harleys, I've never seen, uh, and I'm sure there must have been a down night here or there, but I never heard of one. I never heard anybody say, well, you know, one night he had he had the flu, or or uh, you know, he just didn't have chemistry with that wrestler or whatever. Uh, everything that I ever heard about Harley's title runs were over the top. Uh, kudos, you know. So Harley would fit in there. Yeah, Terry Funk's another one, you know, aside from my uh, personal friendship with him and, and, and what I learned from him, uh, can, can you name anybody else that had been as impactful as Terry Funk for as long and in as many places and in as many incarnations as Terry Funk has been? You know, I remember being a small kid the first time I saw Terry Funk. And oddly enough, it wasn't in professional wrestling. I saw him in, in Paradise Alley with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then to later see his, you know, all, you know, just be overwhelmed by his in-ring abilities, both as a heel and as a babyface. Um, and then again, have done it not, you know, not just in his late teens, then his 20s and his 30s, his 40s, hell in his 50s, becoming a world heavyweight champion in ECW. And a damn believable one. You know, it wasn't like, ah, it's, it's great ECW did that for the old guy. Um, you know, he was, if not better than everybody on the ECW card, uh, yours truly included, he was certainly one of the best 
on the card. And, you know, I've said it a million times, you know, being in, in the age range now that he was when he became the ECW champion, wow, uh, you know, what an incredible amount of respect that gets. You know, then, you know, you can go through other places and say, you know, like, it's like when somebody always asks me, you know, who's your toughest opponent? Who's your favorite opponent? Oh, geez, you know, which, which way is the wind blowing right now? You know, because I've, I've had the, the unique privilege of having wrestled so many incredible wrestlers and stars from over the, the generations. You know, Eddie Gilbert, uh, you know, all the way down, you know, to, I don't want to say down in a condescending way, but, you know, all the way down the list to, you know, the Taz's and Tommy Dreamers and Sabu's and, uh, you know, Pitbulls. And, I mean, it was just, I've been a blessed man, you know. And, and so for me to answer that question, it would be based on what time of day is it? Uh, when's the next full moon? Uh, which way is the wind blowing? Uh, is this a leap year? Because, <laughs> you know, it literally could change night to night. I've, I've, I've had that much, you know, interaction with so many incredible wrestlers that I'm a huge mark for. And, you know, that for me has been the part that's kept me interested this long in the industry is that, like I said a million times, I'm a mark. You know, for anybody that throws the word mark around like a negative thing, like you're one of the cool guys and I'm going to call you a mark. Uh, I'm a mark. I wouldn't have been in the business this long. I would have never gotten into the business if I wasn't. And I am a mark for all of those guys that I've wrestled and had a chance to learn from. And, you know, women included, you know, uh, uh, Sherry Martell and Medusa and Jazz and uh, 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 Joni, uh, Laura, you know, uh, you know it's uh, uh, Francine, uh, Tori Wilson. I mean, you know, there's just, the list goes on and on and on. I've just, you know, had that much interaction with so many different greats over the years that it's really impossible to say at this moment in time, this, these are my favorite opponents, these are my favorite faction, this, whatever. It's impossible to say. I was thinking maybe Shane, Malenko, Saturn, and Benoit, I don't know, something like that would have been a cool faction. But... It'll never work. It'll never work if you want to burn the house down. <laughs> now, speaking of being... Flag. Oh, <laughs> yes. Great, great angle. Russo uh, right in that one. Um, speaking of being a mark and maybe being a kiss mark, it is time for AFA Ask Franchise Anything. And we do have an email from Randy to Shane, and this is mm. specifically about kiss. Shane, what is your favorite kiss song? And then... Shane, what is your favorite Kiss album? Just like I said about the wrestlers, right? I mean, there's uh, I'm really, really getting into I grew up hating. I shouldn't say hating. I grew up disliking the first three Kiss albums, uh, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dress to Kill, just because they're, they, you know, they, they, their production levels just aren't that great on them. But now, you know, with all this digitization of music and everything, you go back and listen to those, and there's such a rawness to them, you know, such almost like a garage band sound that, you know, it's before they had the, you know, the million dollar stage and all of that. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of, I enjoy about those uh, first three albums. Uh, but if, if just going back over my 
childhood, the, the first album I ever got of theirs was Love Gun. Uh, 1977 when it came out, I got it within a few days of it coming out. And I remember listening to it and, and I still didn't know that much about the group. You know, I just was my, my neighbor's brother was big fans of theirs and was always playing their music. And this is the first album that came out uh, after we had, you know, snuck up and listened to my friend's brother's albums. Uh, you know, this is the first album that came out after that. So I didn't know much about them other than they were really out there. And, you know, I remember sitting there and listening to the album with my old headphones on and just staring for hours at the, uh, the sleeve, you know, and, and, and the cover and just mesmerized by it. You know, they, you know, what are those ladies on? Why are they all dressed up like, you know, they have makeup on their face and you know, the, the outfits, again, a huge comic bookmark when I was a young kid. Uh, and I'm sitting there staring right now at a great big bin of, of comic books from my childhood that I've, I've saved for my kids. Uh, you know, suddenly here's these guys were like, you know, something out of a comic book, you know, until you heard them play. And, uh, you know, so Love Gun really has an iconic place in my my head uh, just because of that. But then, like I said, as of late, listening to those first three albums and what I used to hate most about those albums or dislike the most about those albums is the very reason I love listening to them now is they have such a raw sound to them. And you can also hear, you know, if you listen to it closely, you can hear the hunger, you know, the, the fire in them, you know, that they're, these are young, hungry guys, you know, that are really desperate to make it. And you can sense the urgency in that. Uh, but, you know, I'm one of the ones that also, the, the solo albums, so, you know, a lot of people don't like them and the elder, I, I love them. You know, there's uh, something different on each one, but, you know, it's uh, hard for someone like me that's a true fan of KISS uh, to just nail it down. The same thing with the wrestlers, right? For me to sit there and say, well, it's just that one album. That's the only one I really love, and the rest of them are okay. I, I, I love all the albums. That's why I'm such a big KISS fan. It was just uh, this, I think, two weeks ago, maybe when you were in Australia, it was the 40th anniversary of the four solo albums uh, being released, so I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool stat. So, uh, do you have a favorite of the four solo albums, or are we not going to pick anything? Are we going to be, oh, yeah. are we going to be diplomatic here? We're not going to pick our favorite Kiss album next. No, no, not <laughs> Paul Stanley's. Okay. Paul Stanley's to me was the one that was because you know, keep in mind, you know, as a kid, you get these four solo albums, and you're fully expecting for them to be representative of their characters, right? So I'm expecting Gene Simmons to be some like ultra heavy metal power. And I turn it on and I, I hear, when you wish upon a star, <laughs> I fell out of my bedroom. You know, it's, but there are some gems on, on Gene Simmons, but Paul Stanley's was the most representative of, of the Kiss sound. And you can clearly tell that Paul Stanley was the guy that was writing the material for Kiss by and large. Uh, but then Aces, uh, really close second because aces had uh you know you didn't put much into it much hope into aces because you know he, he, he'd only sung what one song at that point when those came out uh uh shocked me and had written a couple others on earlier albums uh you know but you weren't really you didn't put a whole lot of hope into that there was gonna be anything there i thought they were gonna be mostly instrumental and then it came out, and there was New York Groove and Snowblind and 
uh, speeding back to my baby. And, you know, it was really a, a, a surprise for me because I didn't you know, have a whole lot of stock just because of the way that Kiss was comprised at the time. Paul's definitely the best, and Ace is a very, very close second. Love New York Groove. That's one of my favorites of all time. So I'm glad, uh, get, glad we showed Ace a little love. Ace Frehley, maybe the most fascinating person in rock and roll. I could listen to him talk all day. His book is amazing. His, uh, his stories, whether they be true or not, are amazing, and I'm sure a lot of them are. So uh, <laughs> if you haven't heard Ace Frehley uh, talk, please go out and, uh, go out and find that because he's, uh, he's quite the entertaining fella. But if you want to be like Randy and you want to get a question on here, you can send an email into the triple threat pod at gmail.com. Again, it's the triple threat pod at gmail.com. Randy did it the old fashioned way. We're also starting to pick some questions off of Twitter. Uh, we shelved a question that would have gotten a couple laughs, at least out of John and I, about uh, <laughs> a certain nickname that somebody asked if you were going to be the first recipient of. But uh, maybe I'm going to save it in case we go back to it down the road for a couple uh, little ha ha's. But. Uh, the world's most intelligent wrestler. <laughs> well, those PhDs speak for themselves. You know, that's that, that's for damn sure. It ain't, it ain't easy to earn seven. You know, <laughs> Blazy Ford only has one, right? Only two masters, one one masters. The franchise has seven. Count them seven. As many FBI investigations as Kavanaugh's has. That's how smart I am. That's right, exactly. So if you want to send in some questions... Tweet at us whether you tweet at Shane at the franchise SD, you tweet at the show at Two Man Power Trip, you tweet at John, he's at Two Man Power Trip, you tweet at me at Wrestling Pal or the Triple Threat Podcast at the Three Threat Pod. Uh, we'll collect all the questions. We're going to gear up for another poll coming up where we're going to have a fan picked episode topic and got a couple in mind. May just keep the three that we haven't picked yet and add a new one, but. I have a couple that I'd like to throw out there to see if uh, the fans are, are kind of on the same uh, level as us and what we would like to talk about. So, uh, you know, we'll get that rolling out there. I want to thank Blue Chew for being a part of today's episode. I want to thank Figures Toy Company for being a part of today's episode. You can go to figurestoycompany.com or wrestlingsuperstore.com for all of your action figure needs, not just the wrestling ones. Check out the rest of the lines, including the Kiss line, where they replicate the old-fashioned... Uh, Kiss Mego figures from the 1970s, flawlessly, might I add, as well as some great ones like Sweet. like the Monkees, my personal favorite, Scooby Doo, the Three Stooges, DC Comics. Well, Clark, are you kidding me? They got the Monkees. <laughs> they got the Monkees. Isn't that great? I said from the start, wrestling, Kiss, and the Monkees. Can we have a better combination? I'm telling you, that's that's a triumvirate of greatness right there. <laughs> hey, hey, it's the uh, franchise. <laughs> Kiss could have learned I a love, couple of things from them. Oh man, as, you know Mike Nesmith. Uh, Sadly, you know what we're down one right. There's only three yeah. and, and Peter Torch. Peter Torch is in, uh, from what I understand, reading online. If, if there's any validity to that, that he's been in poor health with Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolan's uh, Peter Torch, and sadly we lost Davy Jones. So the the train's done left for Clarksville. <laughs> he's daydream believing somewhere bad, out in the distance. How bad was that? No, no, it was great. I want to talk monkeys. Yeah, he's daydream believing out in the distance somewhere. But yeah, Peter Torque has, I believe, he has some form of, or he had some form of throat cancer, uh, and affected his voice a little yeah. bit. He still tours, but his voice is audibly uh, a little different. Uh, and Mike Nesmith, they had to cancel their last leg of the uh, the Mike and Mickey tour because he had a heart attack, <laughs> so they had to 
Uh, yeah, and, and cancel the tour. I'm throw a little, now the franchise gets to ask a little uh, ACA here. Uh, ask Chad anything. <laughs> name Peter Tork's uh, solo group's name. Uh, uh, blue suede or uh, blue suede shoes or oh, shoe? No, no, no. That's right. Su- uh, shoes. No, 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 nope. It's shoe suede blues. That's what it is. Yeah, shoe suede blues. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Son of a gun. But hey, it's you know, you, you just pulled it up on your computer, didn't you? I hands free right now, baby. I got nothing in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Pulled that one out of left. Well, I could talk to monkeys until uh, the cows come home, and John knows that for a fact. But. I digress. If you want to get a part of this Triple Threat podcast, you can head over to tmptofwrestling.com. Check out the episode downloads, the YouTube page, and we added the link for the action figure from Figures Toy Company. The t-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com slash franchise SD. Jeez, let me try to think here what else we've got. We've got a lot coming down the pike. We've got a lot of cool stuff planned. Uh, Franchise, it's it's always crazy. Oh, we just announced we got a huge convention that we just uh, put together with our buddy Nick from Captain's Corner. The day of WrestleMania in the Meadowlands. It's going to be called Mark Out at the Meadowlands. And right now we've got a theme going of uh, football players in wrestling. So there's a mini reunion coming of the West Texas State football team. Uh, as many as we can uh, kind of get there in New Jersey. The day of WrestleMania. And you can go to MATMCon. Dot com for more information on Mark Out at the Meadowlands, another pro wrestling convention headed your way. But, Shane, with that being said, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about where you're going to be this weekend heading down into uh, maybe unfriendly waters down there in Metairie, Louisiana. But what uh, what else is going on in the franchise world this coming weekend? Well, that's it, man. I'm going to be leaving out uh, early, heading down there, get some training done uh, Friday and Saturday uh, before the show. have a few little chores i'm going to run a few little errands you know the one thing the franchise never does in walking into a unfriendly building is to not walk in with a plan so i would be taking off on friday early for uh uh for new orleans and setting up a few of the uh aces in the holes if you will (laughs) he's always got something up those sleeves folks so come back next week and uh find out what the results were I'm sure I would say win, lose, or draw, but we, we, we're going to say win. We're going to uh, put our, our chips in the win column. <laughs> We've got faith in you, so place your bets now. I don't know if sports betting is legal in Louisiana, but let's, uh, let's get at it. But, Shane, take us down the road here. Get us on out of Episode 66 and head it out to Episode number 67 of the Triple Threat Podcast. 66 big episodes. Who'd have thought of it? Who'd have thunk it this quickly, right? Perhaps just a year. And a little bit about a quarter of a year, we're heading up to number 67 next week. As exhausted as I am, been running around looking forward to 67. So make sure you tune in next week or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.